0: Dr. Lisa Radwin was raised in rural New Jersey. She has a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and is a 1991 graduate of North Carolina State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. She was certified in veterinary chiropractic by the American Veterinary Chiropractic Association in 1999. She was certified in veterinary acupuncture by Colorado State University in 2003. She continued her studies in traditional Chinese veterinary medicine and earned certification in Chinese veterinary herbology from the Qi Institute in 2010. In 2010, Lisa became the 14th person to achieve the status of fellow of the American Academy of Veterinary Acupuncture and advanced certification in veterinary acupuncture. Also in 2010, Lisa earned her degree as a human acupuncture therapist from the Midwest College of Oriental Medicine and as a licensed human acupuncturist. Dr. Edwin is one of the principals of One Medicine Center in Pulaski, Wisconsin, along with Dr. Crystal Urban. The center is an integrated practice for both people and animals. In this unique arrangement, Dr. Radwin provides holistic care for animals, while Dr. Urban, who's a naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist and herbalist, serves their human patients. The center has room for patients to walk through the herbal plantings and hike on nearby trails. They'll be hosting small events, seminars, and classes for people to learn more about wellness, health, and mind-body medicine in their unique setting. In this conversation, Dr. Radwin and I talk about her upbringing, her veterinary school experience, mixed animal practice, working in New Zealand, getting a licensed acupuncture degree while still in practice, and establishing a unique integrative practice for pets and people. I apologize for the audio in this episode. We had some issues late in the recording, and as a result, our conversation comes to a bit of a sharp conclusion. I don't think our issues affect the overall quality of the episode, though. Please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Lisa Radwin. Dr. Lisa Radwin, thanks so much for joining me.
1: My pleasure. Hey, so where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up on a dirt road in the country and spent my time milking neighbor's cows and being a pest on the neighbor's farm.
0: So was the idea of veterinary medicine a pretty early thing for you?
1: Uh, Yes. I have uh, a drawing I did in probably first grade that my mother gave to me for graduation from vet school. And it said, when I grow up, I want to be a veterinarian. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was spelled that way, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's always oh, nice. been what I wanted.
0: That's wonderful. So, so what took you to North Carolina for school then?
1: Well, New Jersey doesn't have a veterinary school. So my options were um, Penn and Tufts and they had reciprocity, maybe one seat. And I interviewed at a lot of schools in NC State. I interviewed undergrad And NC State had a really good undergrad program, and I took a tour of the vet school when I was still in high school, and they told me if I did well, they would make sure I had a seat. So I went to NC State and majored in biochemistry, and I didn't get into vet school that first year. They only took the top five out-of-state applicants. So I waited out a year, and I got my residency, and I was in the next class.
0: Nice. So that helped with tuition then?
1: Yes, Tuition. My having, first having my first semester at NC State was nineteen. I think my first semester was about six hundred dollars as wow. an NC State resident. Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. So, um, so why biochemistry is an undergrad program?
1: I wanted a degree that I could use if I didn't get into vet school, and i I yeah. found I I didn't think that bio just a biology degree was going to be very marketable. And the research triangle was just starting to get up and going in North Carolina. And I felt that a degree in biochemistry was going to be much more marketable. And I was really interested in the major itself just for the sake of studying biochemistry. So it was kind of twofold. twofold.
0: Yeah. Um, so was NC State the only school you applied to
1: then? For vet school? Or Yes, for um, vet school. You know, Neil, I don't remember. I'm sure I didn't put all the eggs in yeah. one basket. <laughs> I, I'm sure right. I applied. I probably applied to Virginia Tech. I would imagine because I really liked living down south. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did
0: you? Big change, I suppose. From
1: New Jersey, yes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So, so graduation was 91. what year? All right. Then what? Where'd you go?
1: I came to Wisconsin.
0: What? So, what prompted that decision?
1: Well, NC State hosted a dairy production seminar every year, and I was working for. John Fetro, who was a veterinarian who proctored that and and got that group going. And they were kind of the first people doing production medicine. And all of these very skilled people from all over the country would come every year to NC State for the Dairy Conference. And I worked it. So I got to know all these people. And I came up to Wisconsin to extern my senior year. And I spent four weeks up here in the summer. So I left you know, the sweat box of Raleigh in the summer and came up to Wisconsin (laughs) and fell in love with the state. And the person I externed with offered me a job when I finished.
0: So what part of the state was that?
1: Northeast, north of Green Bay.
0: Okay. So how was that summer? Was it, well, obviously it was cooler than what you're used to, but Wisconsin summers can get kind of hot.
1: No, it was perfect. And it it was county fair. It was county fair time. So, you know, (laughs) You, know, you you come up here and the county fair is a big deal and all of the kids that you see on the farms yeah. while you're doing your externship and then in practice they're all at the fair and it's a very social event and it it's really kind of magic
0: yeah yeah so uh, you, you joined that practice how many doctors were in the practice there were then? four and a it was mixed a mixed practice. practice
1: yes so we did everything
0: yeah. all right
1: and it was uh it was a an interesting way to learn, because when we started, we didn't have inhalation anesthesia for the small animals, so we, we started with injectable, and uh, you learn to be very fast with your surgeries. Yeah,
0: yeah, I bet. So how long were you with that practice? I was
1: there for four years, and I really liked the area, but I wasn't happy with the direction of the practice. So I waited out a year of my non-compete contract, and then I started up my own practice about 10 miles from where I started here. Wow. You started oh, yeah, from scratch. I didn't know any better. <laughs> but it was yeah. the best thing I ever did and the most fun I've ever had. You know, when I started in the the mixed wow. practice here, I, I would be out on the farm at all hours, day and night, and... Most of the time I kept thinking, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. I kept a fly yeah. rod in the car. So you- and if I was out on a milk fever really early, I'd hop in the river behind the farm and go fishing. And it, it's very much a lifestyle practice rather than a job.
0: Yeah. So you had a brick and mortar small animal yes. practice. Then. When I
1: started my own, I had a wow. mixed animal practice that yeah. I started. And I had the first in-house blood machines and in-house x-ray and gas anesthesia when I opened my doors, we did everything right. And I built it because, you know, career-wise, you never know with large animal, how long you're going to last. So I wanted to have really good quality, large animal and small animal. And it worked out to be a really good plan because I was able to attract some really good new grads to come join me. So how
0: long was it before you could take on an associate?
1: Oh, it was probably a year, year and a half.
0: Oh, that's fast. That you must've been, it must've
1: been incredibly busy. I was, and it it was, it was good. I had uh, met with the farmers pretty early and told them, you know, I'm just starting out and God bless them. They paid me in full every month and they helped me get a really solid foundation to my practice. Yeah.
0: Wow. Busted a lot of, a lot of hard work and probably a lot of lost sleep.
1: (laughs) Well, that's just what you do. When I, when I look back on the yeah. hours that I put in and, and the physical strength and just determination to do that kind of practice, you know, it, it's, it was pretty tough, but I was in the middle of it. And you don't think about it when you're in the middle. You just move on because it's just another yeah. day and you've got a job to do.
0: Sure. So first associate, then a couple others. Yeah, we after were up that, to yeah? four
1: of us at the peak with two and a half doing large animal and one and a half in clinic and we all rotated. So, you know, you'd be out on herd checks and come in for the afternoon and do small animal or vice versa. And we had some people that really liked doing horses. So they'd go out and do the horses all day and somebody else would do cows, but everybody was equally competent in all species. And then it just kind of came down to preference, preference of the client and preference of the vet.
0: And you were able to work that out. Clients were understanding about who they were going to get if there was an emergency. They were
1: really reasonable. Dairy farmers and the, a farm community tends to be very pragmatic. They're happy when you come out. It's, it's a good place. It's a great place for a new grad to start. You know, they, they see veterinarians come and go out of school and they're the most gracious people in the world and they know you're learning on their animals and they're happy you're out there. And if, if you're smart, you listen to them. You know, there was an old pig farmer who taught me quite a bit of pig medicine when I first started. And he was, he was in his late eighties and he taught me how he castrated what they'd call ruptured pigs that had, you know, inguinal hernias and, you know, Mm -hmm. you learn a lot if you listen. The only run in I had. Yeah. I was going to say the only time I had a problem, I I remember my first year out and I was not the first woman in this practice, but there weren't many of us doing large animal back then. And I remember the first uh, hunting season, I went out to a dairy farm for a milk fever and the wife was in the barn and I don't think I had ever met her. And I walked into the barn. It it must've been midnight with my, my grip and my calcium. And she says, I told them to send the man And I said, well, I'm all that's on call tonight. And I walked out the barn. I was so at midnight, my, my attitude could have used a little bit of polish, but she said, she said, no, no, if you can do it, come in. But she thought you actually lifted the cow. And I don't know how a man was going to lift the cow, but um, that was actually the start of a pretty good relationship with that dairy farmer.
0: How many, how many were in your class in vet school and how many women?
1: We were at about 40%. Mm Mm-hmm
0: were you? Okay. So did you feel like NC State prepared you for that life?
1: I had a really good education. Yeah. it. We had um, Ben Harrington ran the teaching animal unit and we had on the premise of the vet school, we had a beef unit, a dairy unit, a swine unit and poultry. We had chickens and turkeys, full commercial. And we had a horse herd. So if you'd be out eating lunch, chances are you're watching the senior vet students tubing horses in the pasture and, and everything was planned you know the, the vet school was one of the later ones developed and it, it you were immersed in things and you had to take um, rotations out in the barns at the school. It was uh-huh. it okay. was really well, well That's planned. good
0: That's good that you oh, felt like you were ready you know So when did um, integrated medicine come into, into play then for you?
1: I was out of school about five years and realized that there had to be something else that we could be doing for the animals, especially the horses where, okay, your horse is lame. It's not an abscess in the foot. Here's your butte. And it it got, and the same thing with the dogs. It got to be that we're just passing meds and, and nothing's getting better. We're just alleviating symptoms. And my personal epiphany happened. I was out of school a couple of years and I was trimming the back foot on a cow and she slipped and she went down on me. And I was significantly injured. And I went to the town chiropractor and I told him, I heard you guys are quacks. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Rasmussen, bless his heart. And uh, in two treatments, he had me fixed. And conventional medicine could not have offered that, and he fixed stuff.
0: Yeah,
1: from my youth that had always been like a decreased range of motion or something that would be sensitive in a certain position. I, I wasn't the best horseback rider as a child. So he fixed a lot of the stuff that I had uh-huh. injured riding horse, and where I grew up out east, there were no chiropractors, but they're he, they're here in the Midwest, right? And I think they're here because yes. Of the farming, that if a farmer gets hurt, they still have to milk those cows at night. So, physical medicine was much more common here. So, after the chiropractor fixed me, I said, let's go work on some horses together. And he brought a mallet and a little bit of a piece of wood, and we were going to do it that way. And I thought, there's got to be a, a smarter way to do this. So, I took my training through um, options yeah. when Sharon Willoughby was still there in uh, Moline. And I sure. thought that. In '98, and that really, that so really blew the doors goal. off so, my practice. Yeah, it it was the best thing I ever did was take that class and learn. And I I learned other things. I learned energetic medicine there. I I was uh, working in the barn, and it was February in Moline, and it was so damp and cold. And uh, Judith Schumacher was. Uh, my TA that day. And she looked at my hands and told me I had Raynaud's and she said I le- needed to learn biofeedback and Reiki. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that went a little to the ends <laughs> the for me, but I, I did look into these things and I did start learning some things about energy work and it helped my health and it kept me able to do large animal in, in the cold a lot longer. But it was interesting that when you start going down this road, how many other things just pop up when you need them.
0: You bet. So if I have my timeline right, you're just starting your practice and you're taking that training as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I
1: had uh, a good fortune of having um, another large animal vet in the area and we would swap call. So I could run down, and he did small animal, not to the, the extent that I did, but he did enough that we could he could take my call so I could go. And at that point, I think there was an emergency clinic that had just opened within 90 miles. So if somebody really needed that extra care, that was an option. But I, I felt it was so important to get that training for my day-to-day practice that it was worth you know, sharing call with somebody. And and we did that for years.
0: So acupuncture was next. It then.
1: was, it, it was a natural progression. Um,
0: and where did you do that?
1: I, I had yeah. a, a little Jack Russell named Penny Loafer in my practice and oh, she was a spitfire. <laughs> she was a grand dog, but she blew a disc, and the owners, she was probably 15 when she did it and the owners did not want surgery. And they had found someone who was doing acupuncture about a hundred miles away. And I I asked if I could go with, and I I went with them and saw what that appointment did and thought, well, this is the next evolution of of my medicine. It made perfect sense. And then I, I was looking for classes and I read the web that has no weaver as an introduction. And I was talking to my chiropractor about, okay, you know, where should I go for this? Because... Colorado had the program and she had, or Ives, I get that. I think she might've had it at that point too. And he said, yeah, you know, you're too left brain. Don't yeah. go Chinese, just go with a medical acupuncture. So I took that in 2002 with uh, Dr. Robinson. Yeah. And at that point I learned a lot of sure. TCM because Deke Kendall was teaching and there were, there yes. was a strong yes. TCM foundation and I know it's since changed. And after that, I went down to Qi in 2006 or seven to take the herbal training. And when I learned herbs from Dr. Shea, my acupuncture got so much better. He he would tie yeah. like Fu Ling, which drains damp. He would tie that to Spleen 9 as a point. And he really tied the herbs to the acupuncture points. And it it made me study the acupuncture more deeply from the Chinese perspective.
0: So you're using this in your practice, obviously. And um, do you, are your associates taking the training? Or are you the only person in the practice?
1: Doing? I was the only person for a long time. Um, well, maybe it wasn't that long because I took mine in 023. And I um, my associate, Dr. Kate Carlson, came along. And one of the reasons she came to join me was for the integrative medicine And she took chiropractic, I think we let her get her feet wet for the first year and just maybe two, just to hone her skills with conventional medicine. And then she went for chiropractic training and then she did acupuncture as well.
0: So you sold the practice then?
1: I did. But before I sold the practice, I went to Midwest College of Oriental Medicine and got my human license.
0: Okay. I wonder where that Um, fell in the timeline.
1: I had... My business partner quit fairly suddenly. Um, he was expecting a third child and the on-call was not easy on a family. And he had a great opportunity and he moved on to um, a corporate, not corporate veterinary, but a veterinarian for a corporation. And it was a good move for him. But my associate said, you know, she'd give me a year where she would share a call, just the two of us, but she couldn't, give the rest of our life to that. So we decided to exit large animal. So I kept the large animal. I kept doing dentistry, acupuncture, and chiropractic, but I left the routine stuff to the other veterinarians in the area. So I didn't do any vaccines or Coggins. I just went out for the integrative medicine. So when we stopped doing call, I had nothing to do after six or seven at night. And I was so bored. I went back to school. (laughs) So It's true. It's after you <laughs> used to being on call. And when I was on call, when I had an associate, I had a second pager. So I knew everything they were getting on call their first year. And I would often just show up at the farm because I knew yeah. they hadn't seen that before. And I, I carried, because I, uh-huh. my mentoring when I was a new grad was terrible. And I vowed I would never, mm-hmm. never do that to another new grad. And it was very important that they get mentored. And and it was good. But with that kind of mentoring, after two years, sometimes it's, I just want to do horses or I just want to do cats. (laughs) So you lose your associate. So I had a really good associate in Dr. Carlson. And she just said, we just can't do this. It's not sustainable. And she was right. So um, we got out of large animal and I went back to school for three years for my Human acupuncture license, and uh, really, really delved into the Chinese medicine for that degree.
0: So, what were the logistics of that for you, as far as getting down well, to school? It, and
1: it was two and a half hours away, and I would go down for Thursday, yeah. Friday, and Saturday classes. So I had uh, my standard room at the microtel, and I just went down there. My associate, I I let her take over all the surgery at the practice. That was the bone I threw to her because she really liked surgery. And she she needed a break from the the um the charting that comes when you do just medical appointments all day. So she god bless yeah. her, she stayed in there and, and worked those extra hours. I hired relief vets to come in and cover things to give her support. And after I was done with school, I just made some changes and decided that I wanted to sell my practice.
0: What was the idea? What did you have an idea? Which, what your plan was after the sale?
1: Well, the idea came up before the sale. <laughs> I was, I was toying around with it. And All right. after the sale, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I still wanted to be a veterinarian. I just didn't want to own a practice anymore. And, uh, a veterinarian got in touch with me and said, Hey, there's this opportunity in New Zealand. You should apply. And I did. And I went down before I sold the practice and interviewed and had the job offer and was able to sell the practice and go to New Zealand.
0: (laughs) What was that experience? sorry.
1: I came back. It was, Uh, it was wonderful. Just wonderful. But I had a two year work visa, which I could have renewed, but, um, there was a strong pull to get back because my parents were aging and it was too hard to be that far away. Was it just a small animal exclusive practice? It was mostly small animal and it was a holistic practice. Um, it was a good fit for me with the acupuncture and the chiropractic and they did everything. They even had a hyperbaric chamber, which was really fun. Wow. The uh, the chamber was amazing. Every elective surgery would go on IV fluids in the chamber before the procedure, and boy, did they tolerate anesthetics well and recover beautifully. Especially, you know, when you're doing a dental on a, an 18 year old cat, the difference that hyperbaric chamber made was amazing.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So your visa ran out, and you came home. Then, then what? There was
1: happened? a little bit of depression for the first six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in New yeah. Zealand, um, yeah. we had a, a little, very small house. It was probably 400 square feet on top of a hill and you could see the ocean. And uh, it, was, it was quite beautiful. And, it, and the people were lovely and it was a great experience. Came back and uh, did the tour of the U.S. looking for the place to settle. And an opportunity came up in a corporate practice that was a holistic practice. And I worked for Vetcor for two years. But it was near Milwaukee. Ah. It was in of- a northern suburb. Okay. And they okay. had it was one of the first VETCOR practices. And it was almost exclusively holistic when it was sold to them years ago. So it was a natural fit. So I was chief of staff there for two years. And the medicine was great. And everybody there was engaged in some form of another of some holistic modality. So the, um, the interclinic referrals were every day expected and done, and it was a great place, but it was, I'm not a city girl and they would not move the practice. And I know a lot of people, you know, (laughs) worry about the corporate practices, but I, I felt I was treated very well there. Yeah. That's great. And then Well, then I had the itch to move. I had a non compete in my area, and I really did want to come home to Northeast Wisconsin. So I spent uh, the better part of a year in an emergency clinic and hated it. (laughs) I I had done my own emergency work for 22 Uh, years, all of it, and didn't, you know, for mm -hmm. the first few years, there was no place to refer. So I did all my own C sections and I did some orthopedics. I did. Kirshner's I did everything short of plates it's amazing how well things heal but the ER where you have no relationship with the people coming in the door was not a good fit for me they didn't know me from Adam there was no connection and when you're when you're dealing with a Saturday night ear infection and there's no time to talk about diet it's, it's a very tough place for someone who looks at animals a bit differently.
0: So you wrote yeah, out the non Yeah, I worked at
1: another clinic, and uh, I we found a small farm about 20 miles from my old practice. And it's been in pasture for 30 years. It's about eight and a half acres. And we've been wanting to do some farming. And there was a, a steel pole building with the, the house, so we have converted that pole building into a clinic and we've started planting the farm.
0: So how close do well, your I'm folks are right
1: The funny thing is my mother's in Portland, Oregon, and my father's in New Jersey. So I split the difference, <laughs> <laughs> but at least I'm only, I'm only oh, a gosh. two well, or that, three day good. drive and I can catch a plane pretty quickly. But this, this is nice after coming here after vet school and, and connecting with the land, And the climate and the people, this always felt more like home. And now when I go back to New Jersey, it's just so crowded. I'm so glad I left. There's still open space here.
0: So tell me about... Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. So tell me about the farm.
1: Well, we have elderberry as our primary crop. Um, This is our coming into our third growing season. And we just started with 150 organic cuttings from a farmer in Minnesota. And we've babied those along, and next month we'll be cutting, making cuttings from our plants and rooting them, and we'll probably add another 500 um, rooted cuttings just from ours. And the idea is to fill these acres, not just with elderberry, we're looking for companion planting, we don't want to be monoculture. And our biggest challenge was our neighbors have um, pasture pigs they're raising, and their fences haven't been very good (laughs) So we've been, they've been very good. They've helped us put up some fencing and, uh, it's been a good relationship.
0: Good. We'll talk about the practice a little bit because it's pretty unique. Um,
1: my partner, life partner and business partner is a naturopathic human physician. And she went to, um, national college out in Oregon and she has practice in her half and I have one in my half. So it's called one medicine because it's everything under one roof you can come in one door f- with your animal or you can go in the other door with yourself and uh, it's all things integrated under one roof.
0: How much work did the barn well, need? It, it
1: had a poured cement floor, but that was about it. So we had to, we actually had to um everything put up the walls, rewire the whole place plumbing, heating, everything It was that must have been a project it, um. One of my old clients is a contractor and he did a lot of it and we did what we could. We did all the trim and the, we did the insulation and we helped him with a lot of things just to keep the cost down. And my first practice, I bought a pole building and did the same thing, but my dad helped me with that one. So it's it was a little bittersweet that, you know, he's in his 80s now and couldn't help with this project. I think it was hard on him too, but I learned a lot from him the first time. Yeah. It is.
0: It's good you had that experience. So, but there, you, aim, you you both aim to do more with the, at least looking at your website with, yes. the, with the center and that rather than just a practice. So tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, we're looking at, we have such a strong connection to the land. And I think it's so important with herbal medicine that it's just not a jar of granules or a bunch of capsules. That there's something about tending your herbs from planting seeds to harvest and everything in between and the the nurturing that it takes to grow. You know, we have some of the Chinese herbs planted. We have some romania that we put in this year, and that's probably going to be three or four years before harvest. And, and some of these things take so long, but boy, when you're sitting there with the plant and weeding, you think, and you think more about it. And I think the old herbalists that's how they learned they they saw the plant through the seasons they tasted the plant they saw what the plant could do for things and to me it just i find the connection to the soil very grounding and you know we have a really stressful profession and right and i find the earth to be the most grounding thing in my world and if i can go take a walk in the woods or Frankly, go dig a ditch. That is one of the most therapeutic things I do, is, is I dig. <laughs> we put in uh, over 600 yeah. trees and shrubs since we bought the farm. And every one of those holes I dug. And wow, I enjoyed every one. It was hard work, but it's honest work. And there's something about that physicality of, of the planting and the seasons. And everything we planted is a food source. So we, we bought our trees and shrubs through the extension. County extension in Wisconsin has very inexpensive plantings. You just have to tend them because everything's sold bare roots. So we have apple and pear trees and we put in um, nuts. We have hickory nuts and we put in um, hazelnuts, a lot of hazelnuts and mulberries what else do we have? We have high bush cranberry and all kinds of things that'll feed birds and feed wildlife. We have a lot of turkeys and a lot of deer. And we, for organic certification, we have to have a, a buffer. No one seems to be able to tell us how big it is, but we need buffers around the farm for, to keep the sprays out mm. from conventional farming nearby. So we chose to put it in food. Sure. And the more I learned, the more I realized we shouldn't be keeping bees. They're not the natural Ah. pollinators. Honeybees are not native. Mm -hmm. And the concern, you know, right now the almond fields in California are being pollinated. 95% of the bees, honeybees in this country are in California right now pollinating. There's no herd health for beekeeping. So we're looking at all of these diseases and parasites of bees but we're commingling them out there so the hives come back with all of these diseases and we're wondering why we can't control the health of the bee population but we can't have the the almond groves are monoculture there's no other food out there so they're not going to have hives out there just for they won't have hives all year it's just for the pollination season and I, th- I think we've got to look at this very, very differently. And somebody figured out part of the colony collapse was the orchardists were spraying fungicides during the bloom while all the bees are out there. And nobody put two mm-hmm. and two together to figure out we probably shouldn't spray while the bees are pollinating. There's just such ignorance when it comes to these chemicals we're using farming. It's it's We could do better. And and that's what we're hoping to do is educate. Sure. So what we've done here is we've just planted lots of pollinators. So we have anything Chinese medicine, you know, any of those flowers, that'll be good pollinators. And we've got a lot of the native um, oxeye daisies, and we've got a lot of echinacea started and bees balm and Russian, oh, I, a Russian thistle and all kinds of things that will flower. And we try to have things that flower all year. Mm, the last okay. um, food for bees is actually the goldenrod. And a lot of people, you know, look at that as weeds. And we ah, try to encourage okay. people to keep your goldenrod. <laughs> Take your Zyrtec and leave the goldenrod. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so we, we decided to shift. We we really did have a keen interest in beekeeping and Everything we read, we figure that we'd be better off working with developing the bumblebee population.
0: This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the College of Integrative Veterinary Therapies. ZIVT provides world leading education in natural medicine, including three accredited postgraduate qualifications, industry recognized certifications, and a wide range of evidence based courses and webinars delivered by qualified and experienced practitioners. By bridging cutting-edge science and tradition, CIVT helps you to expand your treatment options to tackle your most challenging cases, and whether you're a veterinarian, veterinary technician or nurse, animal health professional, or someone who wants to learn more, they have the right course for you. Investigate their offerings at civtedu.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd appreciate if you take the time to tell a friend and to give us a favorable rating on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you next time.